What the footy? What the footy? What the footy? What the footy? Hi there, it's Paul, and you're listening to What the Footy, the podcast that takes football fans behind the scenes. Here is what I have lined up for you today. What I liked about Jack, he played at the sharp end of the pitch. He played in the attacking third, where Santi Carzola, Meza Ozil, Cesc Fabregas, uh, Robin Van Persie. This week, I'm speaking with Neil Bamfield. Neil spent 21 years as Arsene Wenger's right-hand man, helping to develop and transition academy and reserve players such as Cesc Fabregas, Jack Wilshere, Ashley Cole and Alex Iwobi into fully-fledged first-team players. I'm really keen to understand from Neil what life behind the scenes as a coach is really like. What was it like to work with Arsene Wenger and learn from him, as well as get his take on the future of youth football and coaching? Guys, this is the What The Footy podcast with Neil Bamfield. I hope you love it, not like it. I hope you love it. So download, subscribe, rate and review and tell a friend to tell a friend. Let's go! Knew some other guys liked me, but I didn't know it was to that Imagine extent. Imagine being a kid in primary school, now nice it's a powerful people, and I think they need to recognise that, but then also they need to be represented the right way. Sport in general is nothing without fans. Uh, based on you know, one single source of revenue alone, that being the TV. Let's just win this to appease the fan. Yes, Neil, welcome to the podcast. It's obviously great to have you here. How's sort of things with you? And obviously I saw you guys won yesterday as well. Massive result. How's how's sort of things with you, man? Yeah, things are going all right. Firstly, thanks for inviting us on your podcast. Um, Yeah, we had a good win last night at Watford. It was a good game. Uh, We went 1-0 down early, but we showed some real good... uh, Not early, we went 1-0 against the run and play a little bit of penalty. But at Watford, and we've come back and... Uh, we equalised with a real good goal. Chrissy Willett got to the clips it far post and uh, Charlie edited in. And then we, we got the winner with uh, minutes to go. So, yeah, it was a real good win and an overall good performance. I think it cemented what we've been doing over the last, um, I think, all part of the season, really. But I think we're turning them into, into wins for us, to be honest. Yeah, no, that's brilliant. But, yeah, we like to start off the podcast with this question, which is, what is football to you, a business or a sport and why? Oh, to me, it's a love, a passion, I think. Um, it is a business now. You can't, you, I, don't, I don't think you can get away with it. Yeah. it is, it's a sport for me. It's a sport for me and a passion um, because I've always had the love of the game. I think we all, I think going back from when you were little and we played in the park, I think, or we played with our friends, it was always the love of the game. And I, I think that's, I think that never leaves you. Um for 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 us and the way we are but I think in the bigger climate of the game it is certainly a big big business now and I think there's a load of money uh, revenue streams for the clubs that they're yeah. tapping into that it is a business and you can't get away from that fact without that but for me it's a love and it's a passion yeah and, and just sort of talk to me about the sort of evolution of the sort of coaching staff and the backroom staff I had Dave Bassett uh, on here last year and he sort of spoke how since he started managing to sort of the modern game now like you look at a lot of teams now you have massive coaching staffs and like you almost look at the you almost look at the technical area these days it's a massive mafia of, of analysts and different coaches for sort of different specialism just sort of talk talk me through the sort of evolution since your sort of 21 years at Arsenal to now at QPR well um yeah there's 
Paul, there's been massive change around. When we yeah. first started, there was myself, and we'd have the uh, the kit the kit man, and then the physio. Um, maybe you'd have a goalkeeper coach, but now you've got an assistant coach, a goalkeeper coach, uh, doctors, the physios, um, assistant physios, the sports scientists, the analysis. It, it's exploded. It's been an explosion uh, right throughout the game, and not just at youth level, but at senior level as well. There's there's so many facets now within the game that make up your your backroom staff, um, uh, and there's there's it's been an explosion, complete explosion. Um, they've all got their fields, and they're extremely good in their fields. So you have to take into they are expertise and what they've studied on, and I think that side of the game has come a long way. Yeah. And for me, in a short time, it's really gone on. And when you listen to these fellas talk of studied universities and they've studied it, you've got to be. Um, You've got to take you. Me personally, I take a lot of information off of them because they're so knowledgeable what they're on in on their fields. Yeah, no, definitely. And and how would you sort of say your sort of role as a first team coach really differs to say an assistant manager in your time, like a Steve Bold or or Matt Matt Gardner at, um, at QPR now? I think over the years, I think I think the assistant manager was always the coach as well, along with the manager. Um, I, I think now the managers, Mark at um, Mark at, at QPR, he he really likes the coaches work as well. So there's three of us. Yeah. There's uh, John Eustace, who's the assistant manager, myself, Chrissy Ramsey, um, and who's uh, a lot. He's the linking with the the B side and the academy sides, and was involved with the first team. But there's a lot of coaching going on. Um, when I was at Ar Arsenal, Arsenal would set up the session. Uh, Bora Primorak, myself, Stevie Bold. Before Stevie took the job, I was um, in as reserve team coach, working alongside the first team. Yeah. Um, and he would organise the whole session, and we would put the sessions on. And then he would, and he was observing. And then afterwards, we would have feedback on the sessions. So um, I think it's the different personnel, and, and now and now the managers use their backroom staff um, uh, differ a little bit. But I think overall, it's fairly similar. Yeah, and I think I was speaking with someone. They sort of mentioned how the sort of the role of the managers is really important these days. And I think even just looking, obviously, when when Arsenal and Sir Alex Ferguson, they're almost like figureheads at, at their sort of football clubs. And and I think nowadays as well, would you say that the the evolution, this sort of mafia of coaching stuff, the the growth of it is down to the fact that managers are heavily involved in maybe aspects of the scouting, player recruitment, um, sort of that side of stuff as well in terms of running the overall club and, and that's why people like yourself are really important in the man management because I was speaking with, with Chris Kirkland the other day and he was saying how under Rafa he, he was a bit difficult from a man management perspective because of how he sort of liked to just focus on other aspects of things so you couldn't really go to him for a sort of conversation would you say that's where guys like yourself really step in to, to really support the players as well yeah without that we have a lot of um we tend to spend a lot of time with the players and, and, and the managers. I, I think I've been with two managers, been very fortunate that they've had a good relationship with their players and they've, yeah. they've seen that as a, major, as a major part of having a good squad, that their management and their main management with the players, I think is vital to them. I think the, because the actual backroom staff has grown so much, I think the manager is still the manager of the football club, or they might say he's the head coach, but he's still, he's got to manage the, the different, the different, um, how can we say, the different parts of a football club now. The yeah. sports science, the medical, um, the um, 
the the also the um, how can we say it? the physiotherapy. He's got to have hands on, and he's above all of them, and he deals with them all in separate areas, and then we all come together. But I think the manager's role probably has differed a lot more from um, for me anyway, seeing the growth of the backroom staff. Uh, but uh, for me, it's a major part of your of your relationships with the players, um, and now you um, get to know one another, and now you can discuss. Because I think players now are a lot more. I think maybe years ago it was you tell them to do it and they would get on and do it. Now they want to say, well, why? Yeah. And what's this for? Which is absolutely right. And that's what we've tried to breed over the years of these players that want to ask you questions and they want to know what they're doing. So you have to let them know and you have to form relationships on that and, and let them know where we're going, what we're doing with it. And we did that quite a lot at Arsenal where we, we would have the um, analysis room and speak with different units of the team different players, individuals, and it was a lot of, it was, we were working a lot off what the players needed, the, what the players felt. Yeah. Or it was what this is, and, and I think you still have to, you still need to, obviously Arsene was still the manager, Mark's still the manager, and you still have to have lines where this is where we're going, and that's the direction we take. But I think that you have to listen to what the players are saying to, and I think it's great that you have this two-way conversation where you, you're listening to what they're saying, and so they know that you are working off what they need on the pitches. Yeah. And I think it's been invaluable. Yeah, and, and just sort of in terms of yourself, and, and especially when you mentioned uh, Arsene Wenger and the sort of relationship there, how, how did you sort of get involved in the first team? Because I understand that obviously you were on the youth and, and reserve side and then you eventually went into the first team. How did you sort of make that transition and what was your relationship like with him? Well, I was very fortunate. I joined the club under Liam Brady yeah. and Steve Rowley. Um, and then I, 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 I went through the club. I ended up at a youth. Um, and it was a real good, we had a real good structure working. And it was a real, it was a dynamic time within the club. And, uh, and the youth section was thriving. And then um, uh, George Armstrong, bless his soul, he passed away. Yeah. Um, it's a terrible shame. And I was offered the chance to become the reserve team manager. And at the time, I said no, because I felt that, the, the reserve team area was an area that it was a little bit, you had a lot of enthusiasm, people driving their careers, looking pathways forward to come into an area where you was dealing with players that are not in the first team, a little bit disgruntled, uh, uh, sorry, disgruntled, um, not sure where they were going. They, they were good to work with, don't get me wrong, but there was, there was no real uh, focus or point, I felt, yeah. of the reserve. So Arsene and I, we sat together and we, and he understood why. Um, why I turned it down, and, and then Eddie Nizvecki come in, and then he parted, he went with Mark Hughes to, I think he went to Mark Hughes with Blackburn, um, and he asked me again, and he said, look, why don't you want to do it, Neil? And I explained the situation, and he said, yes, I agree with you, that area within football, we felt, was an area that needed revitalising. Mm. How can we make it better? Yeah. Because you go into a real, a real vibrant area of youth, first thing vibrant, but that area in between youth and and the first team, it dips. Yeah. Um, and he said, we need to make that another stepping stone to going into the first team. So we sat down with the technical, we, uh, the technical committee, Baldy was in there myself, and Pat Rice was first team coach at the time. We come up with this, this vision of an elite group, um, which would be an elite group of young players that would um, Go into the elite group at any age, really. It was the, the quality. It was the oh, uh, yeah. it was the, the standard of the group at the time, and then from them going to the first team. So it was a more motivated group. You wanted a more, 
make the group a more motivated group and a more group that is working towards the first thing. And we come up with this this plan to work within the old Premier Youth uh, Premier Reserve League, and then it would incorporate some players who wanted to play. They was never under senior players. They was never under pressure to play. It was always if they needed the game, um, and th and they knew what we were working for. So we would then discuss with the players. Look, I know it's for your fitness, but we're working with these young lads. And there was time we had Sol Campbell. We had a, we had a few senior players mm. who would come and play. But to play along Sol Campbell, it was. It was fantastic for the. It was an education, and yeah. um, and I've got to say that the first team squad, the, the first team players who played, they was exceptional with the lads, and they and they bought into what we were trying to produce for the first team, uh, and and it was a good system. It was really worked well. Yeah, because I wanted to even ask you on that as well. I think it was Neil Warnock the other day that was saying that the current sort of under twenty threes model should be scrapped, and I think he was saying that when he was at Cardiff, the under-23s weren't good enough because he was getting a lot of criticism for not playing them. What's your sort of thoughts on the under-23s model, yeah, whether yeah, going I, back to B teams yeah. and, and reserve team sort of models? Yeah, I think, I, think, I think that, I think there's a lot of good work gone into this elite programme, but I do think the under-23s is, is an area that needs revisiting mm. and to look at how, can, how, how we can make it better. And I think Neil Warnock got on. I agree with it totally. That it needs to be improved and the standard level needs to be proved. It's, it can end up like another youth team game mm. where you need to be a B team. I think the model that Brentford, I think for some sides like Chelsea's and Arsenal's and the big sides, I think they can run a, a, a 23 team that is competitive because they've got a lot of players at yeah. a good standard. Where the lower league sides need, I think, not to have a 23s, but have a B team like Brentford um, and, develop, and, and have a youth side, but have a B team. You know, not an under twenty three, so that that team is now people see that B team. It's the next step into the first team. It's like an elite group, yeah. and they train very similar to the first team. And then the first team squad players see this as well, and they can dip in and out and have the games when they need it. I think it's I think it's the way forward because, unfortunately, the the E Triple P system does you do end up taking players for just clubs take players just for field teams, which is totally wrong in yeah. my in, in, in my. In my opinion, yeah. you know, I, I think the lads should, the players that we took, we would always want to take people that we felt had a chance of one, playing in the first team, and two, having a career in the game. Yeah. That was our sole um, uh, objective. So when we were uh, uh, recruiting players, we felt that if they come to Arsenal, they would know that they would be valued in the fact that one, we'd hope they'd get into the first team group and squad and go on to have a career. Or secondly, divert into another championship team and rebound into the into the and have a career in football, which I think I think the club was very very successful on. Yeah, and and who was the main person driving that? Was that coming from David Dean and people like that? Or was that just solely from Arsenal? No, it was and coming. Like I've got to say, I, yeah, I, I think I think I think it was coming from. Um, I think I think myself we drove it, and yeah. I think that came about from why I refused the chance to. I refused, not refused, but declined the opportunity to go into the reserves. And Arson asked me why. And, and I said, well, uh, and I gave him my reasons. Um, yeah. And so he sat down and it was Arson, maybe David Dean Arson. And we, we sat down and we discussed, well, how can we make it a better stepping stone? So the players from the youth team know they're going into an elite group and then jump into the first team. Yeah. So the manager would work of an afternoon when he was available. I would set up the sessions and there'd be the senior staff come out and not always work, um, take the sessions, but look at them and be around them and, 
And so the young players knew that the manager was aware of them all the time. And the players knew that when they went in with the first team, I would have a good relationship with the manager and then to speak and give the players feedback on what the manager feels. Because at the end of the day, it's about what the manager wants, not what I want, what the manager sees, yeah. who's going to pick in his team. And I would and I would throw in a few players and say to them, have a look at this one. And then Arsene would say, yep. Yeah. And Mark's very similar the same way. Um, but it was at that time, in fact, it was very much, it's always through the manager's eyes because he's got to pick them players to play in his first team yeah. to get him points and win the game at the end of the day. Um, and it was invaluable. And I think the players that was in that setup knew that this was coming from the manager all the time. So they were always aware of what they got to work on. Um, and I think the structure of the coaching sessions was always around team shape and team, you're playing in the team. But it was about their personal development pathways to get into the first team group. Yeah, and, and just on that as well, like what was it about people like Cesc Fabregas, Jack Wilshere, that, that just made you want to just fast track them through, through that sort of process and through, through that sort of system? I, I don't think... I think, Paul, it's not exactly what makes you. I think their ability shows you where they yeah. should be. You know, their ability, they come in and, and they've worked for years. In I think Cesc come from the Barcelona Academy. Mm. Jack come through our academy. Um, and at that time, and at their age, they were ready to go in with the first team group. Yeah. The level, their ability tells you their level. And it tells you where you've got to put them. And you put them into an area where you're going to keep developing with them all the time. And there's sometimes they fail, but... Look, Jack and Cesc, they move straight through it and they come up with it. And that's why they play at 17 and 18. Wayne Rooney's, Joe Coles, all the young players, when you look at them, uh, the boys now that are playing at so a young age, they're funding, good enough yeah. to play. But it's just how you handle them. You can't put them in all the time. Yeah, and I was just going to ask that as well. Do you feel like some players are maybe rushed a bit? I think someone like a Theo Walcott, a lot of people within the media tend to say that he's only starting to develop his game now and... Perhaps he was maybe fast-tracked sort of too early and you're looking at him at Southampton flying now and always got that sort of criticism because at a young age he was sort of in the Premier League and, and, and sort of playing a lot of games at, at quite a young age. I think, I think it's circumstantial, Paul. I think yeah. you're at a club and I think very difficult because when you're in a club and you're, and, and you're playing in the first team, it changes. Uh, yeah. where, with, where you're in development and you're coming in, to, you're fighting to get into the first team. Once you're in, it's the dynamics change. You're now looking for points. The managers, yes, he, he would like to develop you yeah. as a player, but he wants his three points when he's playing on a Saturday, on a Wednesday. He wants to win the game. So he's looking on how he's going to win the game. I think, I think if you have got a, a I think if I, I think if you are, if you are a manager and you are blooding young players in your team and they're being successful, I think it's an idea that one of your staff are very aware of, of how they are de uh, developing physically mm. and tactically and how they're handling the games. Because a lot of the times the managers will be so focused on the next game and winning. And they don't do it deliberately, but I think they say, yeah, he's going to get me the three points, so he's going to be playing. Yeah. And that's, all that, that, that's what matters. It's when it comes to kickoff time, it's about your three points. Um, and I think it's sometimes, I would speak with some of them, that ask and say, look, Dave, no, he's ready, he will play. And he was very good, I think, because he had... I think because they had the, the availability to drop him in, drop mm. him out. He had other good players the world around him. So he knew that you had to nurture these players and you have to uh, uh, put them in uh, slowly at first and let them have a, f a few games. And then when you can see them, they're faltering through tiredness. Or It's the mental approach sometimes with young players have. But getting back to your original question, yeah. I think it's, it's the club circumstances. And if I'm the manager and I've got a young lad who's really playing well like Michael Owen and he's scoring and scoring and scoring, 
I'm going to use Michael, and sometimes it may be detrimental to to him physically. All managers are very um, are very aware of the situation um, of of develop of the way developing physically with young players. I think Norman Whiteside, he was a man at 16 years of age, so he could he could handle the robustness of the games. So, but I think with developers like Ryan Giggs, I think when he first got on 17 years of age, yeah. he was very frail, but he was lead and. But you could see you couldn't play him more than five or six games because it would physically drain them. Yeah, drain him. And he, what a career they've had out of it, all of them. And I think it's it's a um, it, it's a real it's a real good side of the game that you see these managers the way they are caring on their development of young players. Yeah, and and even just for you as well, like how how important for you is it personally that okay maybe this player didn't work out for them at Arsenal, but they went on to have a successful career like did, did, did that really mean a lot to you and Arsenal the fact that it didn't work out for like a, maybe a Serge Gnabry or someone like a Steve Sidwell but went on to have good and, and, and existing careers or did you look at it and be like oh that person went away and we wish we kept him or was the sort of thinking no, around no, that? No, 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 not one eye or two, it was always, we're always, I'm always filled with um with warmth and pleasure when you see yeah. Stevie Sidwell, he's now at Brighton, um, that have had great careers for Brees Mwamba, yeah. uh, Nicholas Bentner, we sent him down to mm. Birmingham, um, you know, and Seb Larson, and Henry then Lansbury, yeah. Luke Hayling, yeah. Luke Hayling's another one, I think Luke Hayling went to Ex uh, Yeovil, I think Yeovil, now he's playing in the chat, it's fantastic. Yeah, yeah. I think the majority of the clubs that I've, I've spoken to, all of them, I could never ever think they'd always want their players to have careers in the game. They're caring. Yeah. And it's a caring industry and sometimes it comes across hard and, and it is hard. It's a hard, it's a hard, hard industry. But it's also a caring one. And they, they do like to make sure that the players that don't make their first thing do have careers as well. We want to we want to see them successful. Even last when was it? Uh, last week I got a lovely gift through the post from Serge Gnabry of one of his yeah, yeah, European yeah. championship winning uh, uh, um Shirts he sent me over with a lovely yeah, little nice. note, and it's it's fantastic. It's fantastic. Yeah, and I was going to ask as well if I was to call up people like Serge and, and Jack Walsher, how, how would they sort of describe you as a man and, and your sort of coaching ability and philosophy? And... I think they would. I think they would say <laughs> I was hard. Yeah, hard, tough hard. love. Yeah, oh, tough, 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 and um, tough love really. Where I would tell them, and maybe they, you know, um, but you get to know, and they get to know me. That at first they get oh. I think they get to know that my bark is a lot worse than my bite, if I'm yeah, honest, Paul, yeah. you know. But I think, I think developing young players, and even I think, I think they know that you care for them. So when I did actually, and I was strong with them and told them when I didn't think it was good enough. Yeah. And the reasons that I didn't think. So there was always a purpose to mm. their work. And if I wasn't happy with their work, because my job at the time, was to develop them for the first team and give them a career and a fantastic career. Um, so I think they realised that I'm coming from a good point of view. Yeah. I'm coming from a good point. And they knew that it was for their benefit. Uh, and some of them didn't like it at times when we had disagreements. That happens. But I think they knew that, but it was always discussed. And it was never, this is what you're going to do. It was always, this is what I feel. And I would back it up with um, arguments and videos and analysis that, and also what the manager wants. So that's what you've got to do. You might disagree with it, mm. but that's what the manager wants. It's as simple as that. Yeah, and, and what was the, almost a sort of difference between working with, obviously, the reserve players to obviously going to the first team, working with people like Santi Cazorla, Mesut Ozil, more sort of established established sort of players? Oh, it was wonderful. 
I've got to say four yeah. times I used to pinch myself to be on the same pitch. I've been very, very fortunate. Yeah. Thierry Henry, Patrick Vieira, Dennis Bergkamp, I was around them. Um, Jens Lehm and they're, and they're at it. And I've, I've, I've learned that the way they are as top players, their mm. mentality and yeah. their, their, their focus on their training. And then to be around Santi Carzola and Meza Ozil, yeah. you don't really, you're not coaching them players, you're setting up practices for them. And it was very much, they drove their careers. And I think they, they, I hope they appreciate that we were there to, um, to help them and for them um, and put things on for them. So if they needed anything, we would always be available. We would discuss the game. What do they feel? Because they, they're top, top players and they know the game inside out. So I think when you went to that side of it, it was more of a facilitator yeah. where you're working on things that they, that they feel that they would make them better players. So you would come up with different sessions or different plans or different... Uh, different uh, styles of play for them that would help them improve or bring their touch back or whatever they wanted to do, really. Yeah, and, and even in, in, in those times as well, obviously, with the work of Mikel Arteta, did you, did you see those early, early sort of signs that he was going to go on to be a manager or go on to be a coach? I, I think, yeah, I think that Mikel was very, very... He was strong in the dressing room. Yeah. And he was very, very... He was a leader on the pitch. And tactically on the pitch, he would you could see him work things out very quickly. Yeah. Um, our opposition would play, um, and he'd be looking at it. wasn't It was the formation that you played tactically he was very very on the ball, and there was a few in the side as well. And he had that. Would Would you say he was going to be a manager? I would never say, but I thought he had the he had the makeup to become a manager. It was in him. Yeah. You know, you could see that the way he thought about the game, the way he studied the game the way he was inquisitive about the game and the questions that he asked. You, you felt there was a manager in there. And there's been some players that you probably have had that and decided not to become managers. But they was always, when they was focused on their game and they knew what they wanted out of each, each game. And that lends, it tends to make them more likely to go into the management side of the game. Yeah, no, definitely. And obviously, right now, you're, you're at QPR as well, working with Mark Warburton as well. How did that sort of come about? And uh, obviously, what was it like leaving Arsenal? Was that difficult for you? And how did that sort of all yeah, transpire? When, yeah. When Arsenal left, and obviously they, I left the club as well, it was, it was a very difficult time for me personally. Obviously, being there 21 years, you, it's, um, you're a long time over the club and it's, you put your heart and soul into it. And it's, yeah. But you've got to move on from things like that, you know? And, um, and it did take a while. I'll be lying to say it didn't to say even look at and watch the games because it felt it really it did hurt yeah. when I left after that time. But you get over it and you move on, Paul. Mm. You know, and, and I knew Mark through uh, Mark was at Watford when I was doing the youth at, um, at Arsenal, which was just across the the bushes. Really, they're yeah, at Coney yeah, yeah. as well. Um, uh, we always had a good relationship. Mark would come across, and then Mark moved to Brentford, and he got the technical director's job at Brentford, and then. He moved into management, so and then he started the um, Mark originally. Uh, he originated the um, Championship League for the youth teams. He was the one the next gen, and he he devised the plan through Brentford, and he came up with it. And they he went all around Europe to all the big teams in Europe, and it was a it's a great it's a great idea, hmm. uh, and it was a great development tool I think for young players to play against the best in Europe. Um, and we were fortunate enough to go in the second year, and then that was taken over by FIFA UEFA. Um, so Mark and I kept in touch and over the years we've always kept in touch and then he gave me a ring said look maybe if I get another opportunity would, would you like to come with me and I, 
And I jumped at the chance. I said, yep, yeah, I'd love to go work with them. And at a good, such a good club at QPR. So it's worked out okay, really. It's worked out really well, better than okay, really well. Yeah, no, that's good. And, and what would you say the sort of main differences or similarities between the Premier League and the Championship? We see a lot of young players gone loan there, like Harvey Barnes recently, and you see them come back to the Premier League, even better players as well. Like In terms of a coaching perspective and just sort of navigating through those games every three, three days or so, What's it like? Yeah, I think, I, I think the championship is undervalued. I really do on developing mm. the young players. Um, we tend to, I think football goes, works in cycles, in vogue cycles. And it was, oh, let's all go to Germany, jump on the bandwagon, let's go to Germany. Yeah. And then, uh, but if, if you look at the moment, there's Matty Cash at Aston Villa. There's yeah, the boy yeah. at West Ham, took from Brentford. Yeah. The lad from Hull. Um, Bowen, yeah. Ezzy's gone from QPR into Crystal Palace. Yeah. I think it's an extremely good. Emil Smith Rowe was at Hull last year. Mm. With Chrissy, and I think you don't have to go across the seas to to have a good competition. Yeah. And and the Championship is a is a I think it's a real good preparation for the Premiership. It's a test that every game is physically demanding and tactically hard to deal yeah. with. And you've got different teams, different styles of play different ways of players are playing, how you work them out. I think, it, I think, that, I think to be honest, I think the clubs should use the, the championship more to put their players in for development. It's difficult because clubs also want to win and they just yeah. don't want to de develop other players' players. But um, I think it's an it's extremely good league and, and it's such a hard, tough league mentally mm. on the preparations. For, because, as you said, you play Saturday, then you play Wednesday, then you're travelling. It's it's not so much the playing. It's when you come down from a game to get ready yeah. to go again for the next game. It's the preparation, the mental preparation, is uh, is is excellent. Yeah, no, definitely. Because I was even going to say just then, like one player who is at Arsenal as well, that that's at Brentford, and is is friends with someone who I know as well, Josh De Silva. I, I just like Josh, hear, yeah. yeah, I just hear the reports through my friend just telling me how much they've improved these game. Like you look how dynamic he is now as a as a player now in the centre of midfield. Like obviously a player you must analyse every time QPR uh, play Brentford as well. And yeah, yeah. I was very fortunate. That I think the last big group of players that come through the elite group, with, although I was first team coach, I was first team coach with a brief to be overlooking the elite group with Steve Gatton and Cole Larriman because Stevie Bold moved up as assistant manager. So in yeah. that side, we had Ilian De uh, Dayev, we had uh, Geordie Tutus at Cardiff, uh, Christian Billick at Derby, mm. Ben, Ben's at Coventry, Mark, um, Mark is at left back, he's at Middlesbrough. Then the midfield was Reese Nelson, Chrissy Willock, Josh De Silva, Eddie Nikita up top. Mm. It was a, uh, it was a, Xavier um, who went to Germany. It was a fantastic group, and and uh, Saka, uh, Saka was just behind that group. Yeah. Uh, so and Ainsley Maitland-Niles was the top end of it. So it was a fantastic group of young players. Uh, Emil Smith Rowe was in that group yeah. as well. So, and every player has gone and had careers, and it, it was another good, um, another good group of young players that the, the the Arsenal had had developed and nurtured over the years. Yeah, no, definitely, and and even just on that as well. Like, what do you think is the ceiling for people like Emil Smith Rowe and and, and Bukayo Saka as well? And also as well, oh, would yeah, you would you also make of would you also make of obviously Joe Willock and, and Ainsley Maitland Niles going out on loan as well? Yeah, I think I think that I think the Arsenal I think the Arsenal as a as a young club I think I think they've got to be very careful. They've got not careful, but they've got 
really appreciate what they've got. A real good group of young players. Yeah. And some will, Emil's gone straight in. The car is in the side. Joe's got to go out to come back to play. Um, and then you've got Emil Smith-Rowe. You've got a real good nucleus of young players. And they've added one or two. The left-back they've got from Celtic and then Martinelli. And they've got some good senior players. Um, Lacazette and obviously the central defenders. And Rob Holding's done smashing. I think the team as a whole is really, it's really starting to cook. And yeah. it's going to come to the ball, I think, over the next few seasons. Yeah. Uh, and with a few more additions along the way. Fingers I crossed, think the boy yeah. they signed from um, uh, uh, in central midfield is exceptional. Yeah. Got power and pace and he can drive forward. And um, I think, they, I think it's, the future looks really good for, uh, for Arsenal, I think, again. No, I think that's quite because I'm also, although I've got the Schalke scarf in the back, I'm, I'm also an Arsenal fan as well. So, uh, you're also an Arsenal fan, yeah, you're not a bad judge. Yeah, do you know what it is? I actually worked at the club when I was 16 in the armory as well. So, uh, oh, right, in the armory, yeah, yeah. yeah so, yeah, I, 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 used, armory, I, I used to always see people like Tony Adams, Charlie George, all knocking around. So, yeah, it was it's always a, good. Yeah. It's, a, it's a great, it's a great, it's club. a great club, Paul. Sure. And I was, I was so fortunate to be given the opportunity for Liam and then Arsene and uh. Um, to become and be a be a part of the history of the club, it's, it's it was a fantastic journey for me, and I loved every moment of it. Yeah, and and even the championship, are you are you enjoying that? Like, what's the plans for for QPR oh, the this season? Yeah, yeah, um, I've been, I've, I've, I know it might sound repeat myself, but I've been so fortunate that the championship's fantastic. I'm love the championship. It's a it's a different objective. Um, yeah. You're you're working Saturday, Wednesday, preparing for games. The players are really giving you everything, and and they've got time to really recover. So they're yeah. they're running on adrenaline, and they and the and the group of lads and the group of fellas we've got as a group at QPR at the moment, their attitude and their focus on doing well for the club are, are first class. And I think again this season, I think we've been a little bit unfortunate, um, but we've been in most games, and it, we drew. We couldn't get over the line, and we've had quite a few draws where we could have. And if I'm honest, we, I think Huddersfield away, we didn't do ourselves real justice. Yeah. Um, there's only been one or two times where I think we've let ourselves down a little bit on our performance. But overall, this part of the season, we've, we've and I think now with the last, I think the last five games, I think we've took 10 points out of 15. So, you know, if we can carry that form through, I think the club will be fine. Yeah, no, definitely. And I just you wanted to ask you there in terms of, coaching as well I think it was um, Bradley Johnson when talking about when Frank Lampard uh, was at Derby and how difficult it was for him when when they'd lose and almost sort of navigating and getting over that like how is it for you as a coach when you've done all the preparation for the week on, on the in, in the training ground and it hasn't gone to plan but you've got a game in three days time how, how is that sort of mentally for you and the team sort of bouncing back from that and just just looking at what's coming next rather than dwelling and reflecting on, 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 on a previous result? I think, Paul, I think what you do, you, you get too... I don't think you get too high on wins and too low on defeats. Yeah. Uh, because I'm, I think... So that makes you more solid mentally on what you're trying to achieve. So you're, you're focused on what you're doing and you're driven by what, where you're trying to be. So if you don't get too high when you win and you don't get too low when you... Taking a defeat is hard. Yeah, I must yeah. admit it is, it is hard, and it takes a good, good, a good day to really get it out of your system. But I think because there's games coming so thick and fast that you haven't got the time to dwell too, too much on it. And I think the players need to see you motivated for them to say, "Yeah, come on," and, and analyze the game correctly, give them the right information why 
and also it's player led and we talk we, we have a good discussion with the players how they feel they did why didn't the result go for us yes it did and a lot of the times you spend a lot more analysts when you although you win you can also analyse the game really then because you yeah. can say look although we have won we've got out of jail there a little bit and we've lost a few I think you've got to keep a, a relative calmness over everything um, and reflect properly analyse properly for the next game and then move on very quickly to the next game. Yeah. You can't dwell on it too long. Yeah, no, for sure. And, and what's your, also, also your thoughts as well on, you typically quite uh, tend to hear it quite a lot in terms of people, maybe like myself, who've seen the previous generation of leaders on the pitch, such as Tony Adams, Sol Campbell, Patrick Vieira. What's your thoughts now? And obviously, like you've, you've experienced that, you've seen it, you've worked with it, to now the sort of modern game and the modern approach. How are the two really different? In terms of how you deal with players nowadays, I'm not. Sure. I think I think Tony was very vocal and Spaldy and Patrick Vieira. They was leaders on the pitch. But I think I think you look at the big sides now. I think they've got their leaders maybe in a different way. Yeah. But uh, or Roy Keane. They, I think they they lead by. Uh, I think you look at uh, Henderson. Liverpool yeah. is a fantastic leader. He leads by what he does, and the play, you can see the players have a feeling for him. Manchester City, the players there, John Stones just come through and they've, they've got Aguero and they've got the central midfield player. They're, they're leaders in a, in, in a way that they, they lead by what they do on the pitch. Um, and you can see them commanding their, 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 their turf. And I think Manchester United, I think all the top teams have still got their leaders. And they say, well, there's not many leaders about. Yeah. I, I, I think there are. I'm looking through them and I think, yeah, I look at Aston Villa, John McGinn, and you look at the boy who plays at the back in there. And there's a lot of them, I think, the leaders within the within the game. And I don't think they come up and they, they become more, they get strength by their, by their, um, by their displays on the pitch. Yeah. I think when you're looking at Liverpool at the moment, Liverpool at the moment have lost, they lost uh, their three centre-halves in vital positions and look where they are. If they haven't got leaders on the pitch, there's no way they're doing what they're doing. All right, they might well scale in the heights that they, on the way they've done, but they're like, and losing three central defenders. And then you also bring out Henderson, and um, you start to move midfield players. You're moving your seam left, right, and centre. I think they've done marvellous, and I think that is done by yeah. players actually on the pitch as well. So, so, so you don't think we need to go back to the days of uh, young players washing people's boots and cleaning their kits and stuff like that? Or... No, I don't. I, I, me personally, yeah. I, I think cleaning the boots wouldn't hurt them. Yeah. Um, uh, I didn't because I think that's football related. You can feel the boots. The players can come in and talk to them, picking up kit. Um, push them away, doing the groundswork. I'm not so sure about that, if I'm honest. Yeah. I think I think the boot work and um, and I think you've got to come up with different ways within training. They've got to earn their earn their ways and they and 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 now develop it. I'm I was never a one for that, but I did like the boot cleaning. I must admit because it had a feel that you could have you you get a connection with the players' boots that you're yeah. you're actually cleaning. So you'll know well. I'm going to speak to him and he'll come. You can talk about football. It was a good development tool. Plus, why you make their boots right? You you took a bit of pride in the work you were doing, and uh, and I like that to be honest. Yeah, no, that's really good. Did you prepare answers for uh, two truths, one lie? Okay, player one player saw take a corner kick, um, and he was going to take it with one foot, and they said no, it's got to be. It was going to be an in swinger. They said no, it's got to be an out swinger. He didn't move the ball. He just walked around it, and he clipped it in with the other foot. Who was that? Uh, that has to be Santi Cazorla. Spot on. Yeah. Absolutely. It was at Watford. Yeah. I'll never forget. He was doing corners and he put the corner down to it with his left foot. Went, Santi, no, no, no. It's actual. So he just walked round and he bent it round with his right foot. He was he was yeah. an exceptional talent. What a play. An exceptional yeah. talent. 
Um, and they used to play, flick the ears in the changing room, in the, in the gym, um, in the gym. Um, and uh, they used to play the game where they'd keep it up and whoever dropped it, the last, the last one, they'd flick, their, they'd flick their ears off. So who was the worst one in the gym, you think? Well, I, I, getting, who got flicked the most? Who got flicked the most? Get their ears flicked. Oh, what is, is this within the first team, yeah? Within the first team. Oh, who would get their ear flicked the most? Um, Carl Jenkinson? Carl, yeah, you'd be, you'd be for Alex Song used to get his I was going to say, so good. I was going to say Alex, Alex Song. Because they well. used to do it, Paul, right? Yeah. He was so good at it, but they used to make it so hard for him so he would drop it so they could go because he'd never get it done, you know? Oh. Uh, and another one, uh, footballer goes through, goes through to go score a goal. And as he's going through, he slams it on the floor and it bounces over the footballer. Was that a tri uh, over the goalie? Was that a trick or was it a an accident? So what he, he goes? It to... was Arsenal. So what? So what he goes? He's to... running for on goal. Yeah. He's running for on goal, and the goalkeeper comes out, goes down, and he bounces the ball over him. Oh come on, man! Was it's that it's, a, a fluke. It's it's Mesut Ozil and it's and it's and it's true. Mesut Ozil. Yeah, he's and too I, good I'm at Mesut that. Mesut Ozil, and I'll tell you what, Paul. We we used to play. Used to play like um five against two mm. and I've seen him he does five against two you come into him and the and the cheeky sword would go boom it hit the floor and it bounced over your foot he was he was fantastic absolutely yeah absolutely yeah oh, do you know it is so so many amazing players that's through the time and I think it's a good time to sort of go into the quick fire questions um best yep. youth player that you uh, ever saw come through <sighs> and, best and, youth and, player. and you can't dodge this one you have to give an answer Gonna I'm going to go yeah. for Jack Wilshire. Jack Wilshire. I'm yeah. going to go for Jack Wilshire. Over Sesk? Yeah. Yeah. I'm going for Jack Wilshire over Sesk. And it might be a bit, uh, because I'm a little Englander, but I think he come from England, so I'm going to pick Jack Wilshire. Jack Wilshire, yeah. And, and what was so special about Jack? I think I remember a lot of him coming through. I think there was a time he scored a hat-trick. I think that was in the Emirates Cup one, one year. Uh, it's just such an amazing player. Just sort of talk me through what was it like working with him. Uh Jack was Jack was one of them players from when he was young. Um, Jack was I first saw Jack. I was fortunate enough we'd come to the academy. Come from Luton. Yeah. Stevie Leonard bought him from Luton Town uh, under 11s, and he was a little stocky lad. And Liam would play him, and you could see the way he moved. And and it was a you wanted him. To, you know when you want someone to have the ball all the time, give him the ball because you could see feel something was going to happen. And he yeah. had this ability to on the ball just to drive past people at a young age. He was like what he was at the senior age. He was like that at 12, 13, 14. Get the ball and boom, drive past you. And he was, I'd watched him make his debut when he played against Barcelona. Um, and what's come after that, his career has been such a terrible shame for him. But what a young player I felt he was. And what I liked about Jack, he played at the sharp end of the pitch. Mm. He played in the attacking third, where Santi Carzola, Meza Ozil, Cesc Fabregas, uh, Robin Van Persie, you know, um, David Bentley was exceptional as well, mm. tactically, technically. Uh, ran that where you, where you, a lot of sides now make it really, really difficult for you to break them down because they defend so intelligently and so well. But I think the dribbling part of it, he would attack players. He wouldn't just pass it and he'd go at you and drive you. And he was, yeah. at times, he was exceptional to watch. And you wanted him to have the ball because you knew there could be something. And Santi Carzola was like that as well. Fabulous players. Fabulous players. Yeah, and I'm just going to ask your, uh, your favourite senior player that, that, that you've worked with when you were in the first team. I think, 
I think work with him. I, I was very fortunate, as I said earlier, to be on the same pitch as him, working with him, and you, you were. I was lucky to be alongside him. I think one of the, I think obviously Thierry Henry and they was they were geniuses. There was a time, there was a period of time with Thierry. Although I was in the head of the youth, I was always on the pitch around him and to to watch him. And it was a period of play with Thierry. If he wanted to score, you wasn't holding him. He was going to score. I think there's players that have this through their careers that if they decide to score you're not stopping them. And he was unplayable at times. Robbie Van Persie had a little patch like that in training. Yeah. He, he was very, very difficult to, to play against. But Thierry had it in that if he wanted to, you're not, you're not catching him, no matter what. Uh, uh, he was exceptional. Dennis Burkamp, I was again from afar, mm. but very up close was Santi Carzola was a wonderful player. Yeah, wonderful, yeah. wonderful player. Joy to watch. Wonderful player. And, um, yeah, joy to watch. In, in terms of up-and-coming coaches, who should we look out for as an up-and-coming coach? First team coach oh, navigating through well, the game. I think there's a lad at. I think there's a lad at. Um, there's a assistant manager at our place, John Eustace. Yeah. He's. Um, I work a lot. I'm working alongside him and watching him. He's. He's so diligent in the work that he does. Mm. He wants to know. He's very inquisitive about the work that he's doing. He wants to know about systems and um, and way people play. And uh, he's always asking questions and finding out tactically. I think. For me, he's um, and he works so hard, and I think he's obviously had a great career, a good career as well, been a top player, and now forming this managerial, this this coaching uh, that he's got. I think I'd look for John. I really would. I really would. Yeah. And and do you ever regret not going into sort of management and and sort of working for a club on your own? Or uh, I must admit, yes, probably now. I probably looking back, you think, yeah, I think I probably would. I would have liked the chance. I'd, at the time, I was working for Arsenal, and I was I was very very. I think I do tend to use the word fortunate, but I think working alongside Arsene and Mark, to be fair, I think I don't. I think if you've got to be good enough, and yeah. uh, and that's not blowing my own trumpet. Yeah, that's yeah. Just saying that sometimes I look at things and think oh, I was fortunate, but no, I think you're there because you can do a job, um, and and you do a good job. So, and I enjoyed every minute at it what I've been doing ever since. So, but yes, I do think now that, yes, I think I would have liked to become a manager and maybe if ever the chance, you're never too late. I don't think you're ever too, I don't think you're ever too, uh, too old to become a manager. I think if you can, yeah. you, I think when you look at now, United States of America, they've just had the president who's, who's yeah. 78 years of age. Yeah, so, yeah. I know, I know, I know everyone's saying the young is best. And yes, yeah, of course, the young, the young, the young, um, young coaches are up and coming, but, I think there's a place for, I think, people that are running clubs or owning clubs want to know what the managers know. They want to know that they know their stuff. And I think that um, it's not the age that matters, it's what you offer. And yeah. I think that you can, I think I can offer quite a bit to uh, an owner and maybe one day I may get the opportunity. Yeah, just, just even on owners and, and directors and people like that, do you ever have like a, Going relationship with people like Les Ferdinand in his capacity, people like David Dean. Yes, yeah, Les, Les is Les is the football Les is the football his director of football yeah. with Mark, um, and he's in around us all the time. He's been great to work with. He's he's another one who works works behind the scenes. Very very he works hard. They all do, um, and they do. And they like today we've a B game. He was at our first team game yesterday. He's at B game today. I've just come from the B game. And then he's shooting down to Swindon, does a lot of work. And we have regular... He, Les is very... He lets you get on with it. And he's around you if you need him. And he's great with experience. 
for his own experience that I call on all the time, I think is vital. You've got someone like Les Ferdinand in the building, you've got to use these people, yeah, yeah, you know, sure, and yeah. their knowledge and where they've played and what they've done. And he's very unassuming on that. He never puts himself forward. Um, and he's, 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 he's been really good. Yeah, and uh, just lastly, like, what would be the ultimate five-a-side, uh, Neil Bamford's five-a-side for players that you've sort of developed? Oh, who would I, who, where, where would I go? Who would I go with? I think I'd go for who I've developed, goalkeepers. Mm. I think it's difficult. Oh, goalkeepers. Go, go, go rush goalie. Rush goalie? Yeah. Oh, you can't, I can't have a, who I develop as a rush goalie. Oh, I don't know. I suppose I'd have to go with uh, Emmy. I'll tell you, I'll go with, I'll go with Emmy. Emmy oh, Emmy Martinez, yeah. Emmy Martinez in goal, because I can really claim, have, have something to do, to do with that one, excuse me. Yeah. My phone's just dying a little bit. I'll just give don't it a worry. bit more juice. Um, yeah, I think Emmy Martinez. And then players that have come through, I think Hector Bellerin would be there. Yeah. I think... Um, Jack Wilshire, he would definitely be in the side. Um, couldn't you claim Cesc Fabregas? He come from Barcelona at sixteen. Yeah, I think I'll be a bit naughty if I if I claim if I claim Cesc because I think he was already the player at seventeen. So I think you'd probably go for Jack, Hector, uh, Nicholas Bentner. Nicholas Bentner, yeah. Mm. Uh, David Bentley. David Bentley was exceptional. He was another gifted player. I felt. Yeah, uh, was a real good talent. Um, Stevie got... Sidwell, I liked as well. Yeah, I'd have Stevie Sidwell in the team all day long, Stevie. Yeah, so ran something round about like that. So Ashley, I was fortunate to work with Ashley, but he, he'd been at the clubs in 15. He was the first group I worked with at Arsenal as a 16 year old. Wow, yeah. so um, I claim him a, a tiny little bit, I think, but uh, same as Cesc. Yeah, no. Yeah, but we like to always end the show with the what the footy question, which is what the footy needs to change or happen within your space. So what would you like to see happen within the world of coaching and sort of players transitioning from from sort of academy to first team football? I think if I'm honest, on a serious note, I think I think there's to be honest, Paul, I think there's a lot of good coaches. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of good coaches on this island, British coaches. English, Scotland, Ireland, Wales, and I think we've got to really, um, really promote our own. Yeah. And there's some good European coaches, and I, and I, I think they're fantastic. Don't get me wrong, but there's not many Scotland, Welsh, English, Ireland out in Italy, out in Germany, in Spain. So I think we've got to be very mindful of our own. There's some great work going on. There's some really, really, really good co young coaches that are working. And I think seeing young coaches develop like Frank Lampard has all right at the moment. He's just fell fray at Chelsea, but great football mind. He's going to be a great manager. Another good, another good, another club. He'll come again without a doubt. Yeah. You've got like a Sean Dyche, but there should be more of them for me within within our own within our own leagues. You know, and there's a, the lads that um, Darren down at, at, at Doncaster. The way how well he's doing. Mm. Um, there's coaches. There's coaches with. There's a young coach. I tell you, there's a young coach to look out for. He's the um, Justin. Justin at uh, Justin. At, he's at the FA. I think he's taking the under 17s at the moment, under 18s. Yeah. He's going to be. He's a real, real good coach. Justin Cochran. Okay. Um, and letting these lads and develop their own and see our own develop into our own leagues. Yes, yes. The top ones are Klopp's and Arsene and and and, and the, the, it's fantastic coaches. But 
I think we've got to be promoting our own and give some of our own chances to become top managers yeah. and coaches. Yeah, and also I heard that you did your pro license with uh, Stephen Gerrard, and obviously went on to work with him. So, oh. yes, yeah, I was very yeah. yeah. Again, I met up with Steve, and we we formed a relationship. And well, while I was out of work, uh, Steve asked me if I'd like to do a bit of little scouting for Rangers, Glasgow Rangers, uh, around the under 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 eighteens, twenty threes, because he felt that when he was at Liverpool. Down, down in down the south of England or down in England, they was probably more physical, ready to physically ready than up in Scotland to play in their first team. And maybe if they could get some younger players to to go up to Rangers for them. So yeah, I was very fortunate, and uh, it was another great experience. I went up to uh, Ibrox and tasted that for the first time. It was fantastic. Yeah, but Neil, thank you very much for coming on the podcast. Twenty-one years at Arsenal, first team coach at QPR. Pleasure having you on the podcast and. Great to see that you're still loving loving football and, uh, and kicking on. So, thank you for coming on, man. Well, I think the love for football never dies. My yeah. boy plays a game watching him. I get the same amount of pleasure out of watching them all play and watching games. I just love football. That's yeah. how it is. And if I ever start a podcast uh, team, I'll make sure I'll get you involved for, uh, for a bit of the coaching on the weekend as well. <laughs> Listen, you've only got to give me a ring, just ask me. <laughs> yeah, no worries. Top man, thank you, Neil. Yeah. Cheers. Anytime, Paul. Thank you. Wow, what an episode just then with Neil Bamfield. It was great to just sort of chat with Neil and just get some real gems about life behind the scenes as a coach. I think a lot of us see the pictures online of, of the training sessions and, and of players at the training ground, but just to hear what really goes on behind the scenes in terms of developing these players and seeing these players progress and it was great to really hear a lot of these stories from Neil. But guys, I hope you loved it. Not liked it. I hope you love it. So make sure you download, subscribe, rate and review. And tell a friend, tell a friend. Let's go. What the footy? What the footy? What the footy? What the footy? Knew some other guys liked me, but I didn't know it was to that extent. Imagine being a kid in primary school. Now it's a putting off. Powerful people, and I think they need to recognise that. But then also, they need to be represented the right way. Sport in general is nothing without fans. Uh, based on you know one single source of revenue alone, that being the TV. So winning the league, let's just win this to appease the fans. This year at Ashkash Bigash, we're dreaming big for back to school and beyond. From award-winning artists to athletes, some of today's biggest superstars and celebrities were once kids daring to imagine who they would be one day. To the next generation of icons, dream boldly. Find your own style, your own voice, and turn someday into today. Learn more at oshkosh.com slash today is someday. Who loves to tailgate? The Plato's Closet Fairfax and Manassas locations will be tailgating this Sunday. College students go back to campus in style. Plato's Closet will be putting out all their college apparel in addition to gently used trends from hundreds of popular brands. Shop and save up to 70% off regular retail prices. Don't miss the tailgate party this Sunday at Plato's Closet Fairfax and Manassas locations. Plato's Closet is now hiring. Find us in Fairfax in the Greenbrier Shopping Center and in Manassas at the shops at Signal Hill.